Hello YouTube, this is Josh Havens on behalf of the Lafayette County Libertarian Party. This is Ask a Libertarian number six with my guest, Stefan Kinsella, and we are talking about copyright and intellectual property laws. Okay, can you give a brief history of the origins of copyright? The origins of copyright? Um, I mean it goes really back millennia in a sense. Um, um, copyright is basically a, a legal right to pr prevent other people from copying information that you know you had something to do with the origination of, and that impulse or desire has been around in a primitive form for a long time. Um, back I think around 500 BC, there was a, <clears throat> and even before that, like in the guilds and in, in, in the practices of witch doctors and shamans, you kind of had the secret lore, secret knowledge. And you had informal or for, more or less form, informal ways to protect that and to keep people from spilling information, so, sort of like magicians' guilds now. Um, but I think like in 500 BC in the, the Greek city-state of Sybaris, like there was a culinary competition, and whoever won, the um, <coughs> the local leader, king or mayor, whatever it was, would grant to the winner. Like a monopoly for one year to be the only one who could make that recipe, you know. So that's sort of like early forms of copyright. Um, in its more modern form, it really got started with the advent of the printing press. So when the printing press came along, before that, the church was able to, and the, and the government was able to control what books were printed because officially uh, appointed scribes had to be the ones that made physical copies of books, and they could only copy what the church and the government agreed to. So this, these scribes, these guilds of scribes were the ones that would control what was going to be published. But with the printing press, uh, you know, there's a threat to this monopoly. So the, the, um, in England, the, the government granted a monopoly to the stationer's company, which was the only one that could publish books. So if you're an author and you have a book, you have to go through the stationer's company, and of course they're under the control of the government and the church. So that lasted for well over a century, and when its charter was going to expire, by that point in time, the publishers were used to their monopoly position. <clears throat> the church was used to its control of thought. So was the crown, <clears throat> and so there was lobbying done to extend the monopoly. Uh, but what happened was the Statute of Anne was enacted in 1709, which, which basically gave the copyright to the authors instead of to the publishers. But as a practical matter, it reverted to the same system because the authors, again, had no way to publish their own books, so they still had to go back to the publishing companies to publish. And then the practice started where the author has to assign all of his rights to the publishing company, and so the publishers ended up having all the control again anyway. So that was the origin of it, and that practice has persisted until this day. This is why we see that uh, musicians and uh, authors – Always have their rights tied up by the publishing companies, right? Because they have this kind of leftover remnant guild system. Um, but the point is, the origin of copyright was in thought control. It was in the desire of the church and the government to be able to uh, prevent certain ideas from being published. So it was explicitly in censorship and thought control. So that is the origin of modern copyright. What are intellectual rights and why are they illegitimate? Well, According to libertarian theory, right, and Rothbard especially, which I I would agree with, all rights are proper. Well, all rights are individual rights, and all individual rights are property rights. That is, a property right 
is an ex- is an exclusive legally recognized right to control a given resource. So every right that we're ever talking about is a property right. Um, the libertarian conception of rights is that we have to recognize who the owner of a given resource is in accordance with who found it first. That's called homesteading or appropriation. That's Locke's rule. Uh, or by contract, like if someone assigned it, a previous owner assigned the, uh, or transferred title to the to the resource, they sold it or gave it to you as a gift. <coughs> excuse me. Then you're the owner. So those principles determine who the owner is, but all rights are property rights. Um, an intellectual right is the word given, or intellectual property right is the is the term given to a, a, a new class of rights that the governments came up with, copyright and patent mostly. Um, because these rights had to do with the creations of the mind, the, the intellect. So patents, in the case of patents, it covers inventions or new and useful machines. And in the case of copyright, it covers original works of artistic creativity like uh, paintings or plays or movies or songs or novels <coughs> – excuse me – or writings. Um, these were just government monopoly grants designed to either protect – or to limit free speech or to limit competition, um, or some of them claim to incentivize the creation of these intellectual works, but they were not really rights, not considered to be natural rights. It was just like an artificial government program to stimulate something or to achieve some purpose. But they came under attack because they're obviously monopoly privilege grants that restrict competition and restrict freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And when they came under attack, the defenders started saying, no, 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 they're natural rights, they're property rights, they're a special type of property right, they're intellectual property rights. So they just started labeling them that way to make them fall under the, the category of property rights so that people who were in favor of property rights would be in favor of these other type of property rights. Why would anyone invent something if big corporations could just swoop in and steal the idea or – Write software programs if their creations can be easily stolen and copied. Well, I, I would I would not agree with the word stolen. Um, st- uh, you can't steal and if you can't steal information, uh, what the question really is is why would someone invent something if someone can compete with them? Uh, but you could ask the same question about why would I open up a business or go into a new line of um, commerce if someone might compete with me? Why would I start a pizza joint? If I'm successful, I'm going to draw competition from other competing pizza joints. Why would I do that? Um, well, you do it to make a profit, all right? And, and hopefully you're going to be the best or you're going to do well enough to, to make a profit selling your product to your to your customers. The, the threat of competition is not a bad thing. It's just a, it's something that all entrepreneurs face on the free market. Um, copying is nothing more than competition, learning, and emulating. Um, and as a matter of fact, the way the system works – Big corporations are the ones that really have the resources to acquire patent rights right now. Smaller independent inventors don't. Basically, a myth has been spread by defenders of patent system, and they say that it's for the benefit of the small guy, the little inventor, to give him an equal footing ground with big companies. But in reality, that's not the case because in almost every case, if you're a small guy, you don't have the resources to get a lot of patents, and even if you did… You wouldn't be able to afford the millions of dollars you need to sue someone, and you wouldn't be able to come up with the millions of dollars you need to defend yourself if you're sued by a bigger corporation. The bigger corporations have a lot more profits, and they have thousands of patents, and they can use those to suppress competition. 
what this results in is big corporations get bigger and bigger, and they form basically oligopolies or cartels, which is why you only have a limited number of producers in certain areas. Like in the smartphone case, you have Samsung and Apple and a few others, but you don't have a lot of very small people coming in and entering the market. And the reason is because the big players have tens of thousands of patents they use as basically a wall to keep out competition from small upstarts. So actually the patent system harms smaller inventors. It doesn't help them. It, it helps the big corporations. Why is intellectual property not the same as private property? For the reason that all property rights – all rights are property rights, and all property rights are just rights to control a scarce resource. Um, in a sense, there are no such thing as intellectual property rights. Um, it, it is, it's not just wrong or unjustified or unlibertarian to have a, a right giving you ownership of information basically, which is what patent and copyright rights try to do. It's literally impossible. It is just simply not legally possible to own information, <clears throat> which means that what these laws really do is they – they are disguised transfers of property rights in real things. So as a simple example, um, if I have a copyright in a song, okay, you can describe that as saying I own this pattern of information. But you don't really own a pattern of inf information because every right is a property right in a scarce resource, and every right is always enforced by physical force of the state law aimed at someone's body or other property. So if I own a copyright in a song, what that really means is that I can sue you and get state physical force from their courts, from their from their police aimed at you to prevent you, to coerce you from using your body in a certain way or from using your, your factory in a certain way to print CDs or to take some of your money from you, which is another physical thing that you own. So all disputes really come down to dis disputes over scarce resources, and a copyright and a patent is just a disguised way of transferring ownership of an existing resource to someone else. So for example, if I have a patent or a copyright, ultimately it gives me the right to come in to go to court and take some of your money from you. So it really is just a reassignment of property rights in your money, but you owned your money, and you didn't contractually give it to me, so I have no right to it. The only way I have a right to your money… Under libertarian principles is if you committed a, a tort against me, that you violated my rights. But if you're just competing with me or using information to use your own property as you see fit, you're not committing a tort against me. That's why these laws are illegitimate, and they're not like private property rights. What are some major examples as to how intellectual property laws have hurt innovation? That goes more to patents rather than copyrights. I would say cop the, the main the, – the, um, I would say patents cause the most uh, tangible or economic damage to the economy in terms of a dollar cost uh, by reducing innovation, and I'll get into that. Copyright um, doesn't cost as much in the dollar sense, but copyright is worse than patent in my view because copyright threatens freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And it's being used by the government to threaten internet freedom, and the internet is one of the most important um, tools we have to fight government tyranny and oppression, and it's, it's just one of the most important things we have in our whole philosophy is to keep the internet free and open, and since copyright is helping to threaten that, <clears throat> I'd say copyright is a bigger threat to liberty than patents are, although patents do the most damage in a physical sense. Patents reduce innovation. Um, in a couple of ways. 
well, number one, innovation comes from uh, individual freedom and from property rights and from wealth and material prosperity right? and from the accumulation of knowledge over the generations. This is why we have continual scientific and engineering advances in society, and our society gets richer and more technologically advanced every generation because we build upon what was gone before. The knowledge base expands. The capital – the base of capital accumulation expands with capitalism. Society gets richer. Uh, we have more people because population is expanding, so we have a larger division and specialization of labor. So all these phenomena make us richer and give us more information to deal with, and that's where innovation comes from. Innovation comes from free people acting with wealth and resources and drawing upon existing knowledge and adding to it. That's what innovation um, is. So any kind of government policy that, number one, restricts the flow of information or restricts wealth is going to reduce innovation, and the patent system um, intuitively and obviously and empirically clearly reduces overall wealth. It, uh, my guess is it, call, it imposes at least a trillion dollars a year of just deadweight cost on the worldwide economy. So we have hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions. Uh, it's like a huge tax. And when you have a tax, you have less wealth left over to engage in research and development. So that's one way innovation is impeded. <clears throat> um, the other way is is by causing ideas to be locked up at least for a year and a half in a patent application and kept secret, um, right? Or by having a monopoly on the idea for a good 16, 17 years, in which case other people can't use it. So they're dis they're discouraged from using the information they learn from other people's products and innovations. That slows down innovation because you have less innovation, you have less ideas you can use. If I know there's five techniques for making a new product, and three of them are patented for the next 15 years, then I just don't even really consider them for the next 15 years as much. I take them off the shelf, so I have to use a reduced set of, of, of ideas to innovate, and that makes my innovations worse. Uh, another way is that once you become the innovator and you gain a dominant quasi-monopoly position because of your innovation, because of your patent protection, which protects you from competition, you yourself have less incentive to innovate because you can just collect monopoly profits for the next 17 years using your patent. So you don't have as much incentive to keep innovating. If you faced competition right away and you couldn't rely upon a patent to protect you from competition, then you're going to have competitors right away come in and start competing with what you're doing, and you're going to have to keep innovating to, keep, to stay ahead of them, and every, everyone else would too. So the pace of innovation is reduced by the cost of the patent system, by the time and resources spent on patent lawyers' fees and on defending lawsuits um, and on this hidden tax I'm talking about, and also because there's less information out there that you can draw on and use use when you're coming up with a new design. Can you give some examples of uh, modern-day innovation that thrives without IP? Well… Uh, the fashion industry is one good example. Um, uh, there, there's not a, a technical copyright or patent that applies to the fashion industry, and yet the fashion industry is extremely uh, 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 prolific and diverse and uh, innovative <coughs> and profitable. Uh, perfume, perfume is not protected by that. Um, lots of things are not protected by IP. In fact, you could you could even argue music now. Music is protected by copyright, but it's so easy to copy now 
movies and music are bootlegged right away, as everyone knows, by Pirate Bay and other um, other techniques like that. So we basically have an almost like a copyright-free world already because of the internet, right? The internet connects everyone. Is the world's biggest copying machine. It's only getting better and better at copying, and there's uh, there's ways you can copy incognito or with encryption and evade the the uh, the snoops right and the monitors. So there's a huge amount of piracy, so-called piracy already. So basically, copyright is only partially enforced right now, and yet we have the the, the greatest flourishing of art of, of of arts and culture in human history right now. We have music, we have books. We have novels. We have nonfiction books. Another good example would be the nonfiction book market, right, or the academic market. Most of these most of these uh, authors don't get paid anything. They do it for free. They do it for their career or for other reasons. And yet, there's millions of journal articles and scientific papers published every year, and not for profit. So the copyright system has nothing to do with them. In fact, most of those authors would probably rather. Publish in an open journal that doesn't have a restrictive copyright policy so their work can be seen right away because they're no worse off because they're not getting paid anyway. So there's a whole uh, – oh, how about football plays? You know, you have the sports games. You have all these uh, – some quarterback or some um, some coach comes up with a, an innovative new play. Pretty soon everyone's emulating that. So this is just part of life, the fact that people come up with new techniques and other people observe it, and if it's successful – or popular, it will start to be emulated and built on. Do we need laws to protect us from counterfeit products and uh, piracy of music, artists, music? And no, I think we do not need that. Um, uh, first of all, uh, most people are confused about this. They believe, partly because of, 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 of miseducation and propaganda by the proponents of copyright, they believe that copyright and patent law and even trademark law, they believe they have something to do with preventing counterfeiting or fraud, and that's actually not true, <clears throat> especially copyright and patent. Copyright and patent have literally nothing to do with fraud or counterfeiting, and an easy way to understand this is you know, if you uh, sell a bootleg copy of um, the latest um, uh, Imagine Dragons a CD, if CDs are still being sold – Tomorrow, and you sell it as an Imagine Dragons uh, album. There's no counterfeiting there. There's no there's no fraud. You're not pretending to be the author or the singer. You're just giving the the recordings to people who want to hear Imagine Dragons. But copyright would still prohibit that, so it has nothing to do with it. Um, what you're talking about is the rare case of consumer fraud, which is already covered by what we call fraud law and contract law. So it's it's already an offense to defraud someone or to breach a contract. So we don't need patent or copyrighted trademark to do what fraud and, copy and and contract law already do. And it's actually just not true that these laws are designed to stop that. This is just what people say um, when they want to defend patent and copyright. They'll say, well, if you're against copyright, that must, that must mean you're in favor of plagiarism. But again, plagiarism has literally nothing to do with copyright law. Copyright doesn't prohibit plagiarism, and it doesn't stop it, and it's not designed to stop that. And plagiarism is not always a copyright violation. Plagiarism is just a case of dishonesty or a breach of contract with a university, something like that. Plagiarism can happen even with an old work that's out of copyright, so it has nothing to do with copyright. So when people say that um, if you're against plagiarism, you should be for copyright, they're either dishonest… 
or they're confused. You said in an interview that IP imposes huge costs on society and the economy. What costs exactly are you referring to? Well, as, as I alluded to earlier, copyright – the cost that copyright imposes is restriction on um, freedom of expression. Right, You're not able to say certain things or to publish certain things, uh, and that that actually distorts the economy greatly. By the, it distorts the type of movies being made, the type of sequels being made. <coughs> it prevents some works from being published, sequels that, that could have been written. It, it, it's used to censor free speech. If you publish something critical of someone else and you need to quote what they wrote, they can they can potentially threaten or sue you. Um, the DMCA, which is a copyright system, the DMCA takedown system is used uh, well over a million times a day by robots to send uh, notices to YouTube to force them to yank down videos that the uh, the, the target of a of a criticism doesn't like. So it's in a, it's, you could call it an abuse of the copyright system, but it's just the way the copyright system works. So it's used to literally censor free speech, and it's threatening internet freedom. In terms of patents, as I said before, uh, there's there's different estimates, but it, it, there's no doubt that it costs hundreds of billions of dollars a year to the world economy in terms of reduced innovation and increased cost to consumers of the prices of products. How does copyright and IP benefit large corporations over the Um Copyright benefits larger corporations, in, in, especially in terms of the publishing and the music and the movie industry because it's helped perpetuate the publishing model where a uh, an author has to go through a large company to get a publishing deal, um, which of course is being eroded now with, with the advent of Amazon self-publishing, Kindle… Uh, cheap and easy movie cameras. You can make your own movies now, even with an iPhone or something. So technology is helping to erode this a little bit. But up until recently, um, you basically have a system where uh, the the artists are beholden to the the major companies. So it helps them that way. But that's eroding, thank God. Um, in terms of patents, as I said before. It's fairly easy for a large company to just hire a bunch of attorneys like me, patent lawyers, to acquire tons of patents and then to hire patent litigators when they need to to enforce their patents, and this helps to reduce competition. Um, the larger companies usually can't stop each other from competing because they have big arsenals of patents and big war chests and big <coughs> excuse me, big bank accounts. So Apple and Samsung might sue each other, and then they might come up with a deal, and they cross-license, and then they go back to business selling their own smartphones… Each with a marked up price now because now they're paying five dollars per per phone royalty to the other guy, but they just pass that down to the consumer. So you have a higher price per product paid for by the consumers, fewer products for them to choose from because there's fewer competition, but the little guys get locked out. Uh, it's very similar to the way the minimum wage law and these other laws work to the benefit of large companies. They can afford to hire the the specialists who can help them navigate that system and pay those fees. It's like one reason like Walmart, for example, is in favor of increasing the minimum wage because Walmart already pays above minimum wage, so they wouldn't be harmed by a slight increase in the minimum wage, but it would hurt their smaller competitors even more. <coughs> um, do you believe in trademarks? No, I'm totally opposed to the trademark law. Um, as I said, to the extent trademark law prohibits, prohibits uh, uh, prevents com uh, uh, consumer confusion or fraud, that's already that would already be protected by fraud law and by contract law. 
trademark law goes beyond that and basically gives a property right in the trademark holder in the name, which is like a reputation. So I would say that for the same reason that defamation law, which is uh, reputation rights, right, libel and slander law, for the same reason those are unlibertarian, as Rothbard argues in The Ethics of Liberty in his chapter of Knowledge, True and False. right? He gives a good argument about why defamation law is unlibertarian. For the same reason, trademark law is unlibertarian. Trademark law is just really a cousin of defamation law. They both attempt to give a property right in reputation. The ultimate problem is that <coughs> you don't own reputation because reputation is what other people think of you. You can't have a property right in someone else's brain. Right, and if a consumer wants to buy a fake Rolex watch or a fake Chanel purse for ten dollars from some knockoff artist on the street, that's their right. And Chanel and Rolex's property rights are not being violated because there's no fraud, there's no consumer confusion. I doubt anyone in the history of the world has ever bought a ten dollar Rolex thinking it's a real Rolex. Okay, and if they have, then maybe that's caveat emptor, and maybe the uh, the, the money's being taken. Uh, from someone too stupid to have it. So when people say that their 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 work is being hurt by piracy, uh, is this just not is that what, true or it is true? What what they what they mean is they're they're facing competition. It is harder to make pro, it is harder to make money um, selling a good when other people can compete with you. Same thing with pizzas or hamburgers or hammers or cows, anything. You know if if uh, uh, I mean you'll hear people say uh, uh, um, a new pizza joint moved into town and they stole my customers. Okay, you can put it that way, but you didn't really own your customers, so nothing was really stolen from you. So yeah, you might be harmed because your customers are, you're losing customers to someone else. Um, it's harder to sell a copy of digital information that costs you almost nothing to produce for a high markup fee. If people can get a, a bootleg copy for free down the street, that is true. And if it's made illegal to make pirate copies, then you can charge a monopoly price. And so if the government takes away this monopoly privilege, you are harmed. That is true. But giving you the monopoly privilege harms everyone else in the first place, which is why it shouldn't be granted to you in the first place. Are there any beneficial sides to IP at all? What's the strongest argument for IP? There is no good argument for IP that I've ever heard in my life, none whatsoever. Um, the the empirical argument is bad because there's no there's no data to support it, and the data points the other way, and so does common sense. The um, the um, um, the moral argument it makes no sense because it confuses creation and intellectual labor, which is a source of wealth. No doubt. It confuses that with a source of property rights. Creation is not a source of property rights. People always mis confuse this. They say if you create something, you own it, which is just false. I might create my son. I don't own him, for example, and if I, uh, if I create a painting, I don't own the painting because I created it. I own the painting because I owned the ink – I mean the paint and the, and, the, and the canvas and the brush already, so I'm just transforming resources that I already owned into something new. I own the, the resulting product because I already own the factors that went into it. it. has nothing to do with creation. The creation just made it more valuable, made it increase my wealth. But I don't own the wealth because wealth is just, again, a subjective phenomena that lies in the eye of the beholder, and you don't own the wealth of your products. You only own the physical integrity of things that you own.
Intellectual property is a complete fallacy, a completely mistaken idea, and it permeates a lot of areas of law that uh, would be surprising if I would trace them all out here. Um, it's one of the biggest mistakes ever made. I think the mistake was uh, can be traced at least back to Locke, who made the argument that we own our ourselves, which is not precisely accurate. We own our bodies, and if you own yourself, you own your labor. Which is false. You don't own labor. Labor is just an action. You don't own actions. Actions are what you do with your body. And if you own your labor, then you own what you mix it with, which is the basis for his Lockean homesteading argument. So his entire argument is based upon a fallacious assumption, and everyone's accepted that. Once you accept that idea, you start thinking of ownership in terms of you own your labor, and then you own it's like some mystical substance that you own, and then you mix it with something, you own that new thing. Once you start thinking in those terms, intellectual property is going to come out of that. Intellectual property is a natural result, which is why everyone believes in it now. But it's a mistake. It's wrong. So I think there's no good arguments for IP uh, whatsoever, to be honest. What, what would the world look like without IP, copyright, and trademarks? Well, I think we would have, um, we would have far more competition. Um, <clears throat> we would have far more creativity artistically, um, and we would have far more innovation. We'd be richer. Um, I think people would uh, would get over this mentality they have now of thinking of ideas as theirs, and they would just they would also feel free to use whatever they needed. Like if you're coming up with a new product, and you have the whole world at your disposal to think of ways other people have done things, you just pick the best way to do something and you get it done. You don't have to worry about stepping on someone's property rights. You're totally free to use whatever information is publicly available. Um, you wouldn't have to think, oh, I've got to avoid this area of thinking. I've got to avoid this. You know, if you're making a movie, you know, if if you say, look, I really love Atlas Shrugged. I want to make a movie version of Atlas Shrugged. Instead of waiting 55 years for the rights to finally get cleared and someone to do it, you just go make a movie of Atlas Shrugged. You wouldn't need anyone's permission. So there'd be a free for all in the in the culture. Um, I think it would be great. You'd have a flowering of culture. You'd have fewer artificial things that we do now. Uh, in the name of copyright, like you would have probably fewer of these kind of uh, boring Hollywood sequels, which is which they do because of the protection of copyright. You wouldn't have um, in the fashion industry. You wouldn't have. Uh, I doubt you would have purses with with the Louis Vuitton or the Chanel logo slapped all over it, which they do just to get trademark protection because they can't get copyright protection. It's kind of a bizarre thing. It'd be like if you buy a new Mercedes. And the Mercedes symbol is all over the car, like a million of them stamped on the car as part of a paint design. It's just a weird thing. So you have all these cultural distortions that would just disappear. So we would have a, a, a freer market, more innovation, more freedom. The internet wouldn't be threatened in the name of this. You wouldn't have people going to prison for uploading a copy of a movie. right? People would be free. DRM would have disappeared. People could share information all the time. Everyone would have the entire world's library in a petabyte thing in their pocket without fear of going to prison. So it would just in radically increase the dist distribution, the spread, and the flow of knowledge. Any last points you'd like to make? No, I think it was a good series of questions. Um, if anyone was inter interested in this, I have a whole bunch of uh, articles and podcasts and lectures on my, my website, which uh, you can just go to uh, c 4 SIF.org. That stands for Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom.org or my personal site, StephanCancelo.com. Well, thanks, Stefan, for uh, 
offering your views on this topic. Glad to do it. Thanks a lot.